This is the Conduit Church Podcast. It is our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. Thanks for joining us for this week's teaching. That was um, this morning. While you were sleeping, thousands and thousands of Pakistanis have come together to join. What you don't know by looking at it is that 25 to 30% of the people in that tent were slaves last year and they're free today. So you did that. Thank you. And if you're visiting, you may not know this, that there are at least 4.5 to 5 million slaves in just South Asia. That does not include North Africa and much of the Middle East. If you've ever asked yourself or someone's asked you, what would you have done if you were in the United States when slavery was here? You don't have to wonder uh, because we can ask ourselves that question right now. There are just in Southeast Asia alone, one million Christians alone who are in slavery in these brick kilns. And as of, well, by the time this week is over, there will be 83 less families in slavery because you set them free this week. That's the hand of a a guy that spends 18 hours a day making bricks. Now, you think of this part of the country world like I do, you think this is literally the hottest place on earth, and it is. And in the winter, it's brutally cold. So now in the wintertime, they're literally barefoot standing in mud that is it's like no degrees outside, 18 hours a day, including their children. That's that, that guy's hands. He goes free. In fact, he's free by now. So you guys can go to sleep tonight knowing that that guy and his family will not wake up tomorrow making bricks because you made that happen. Uh, we have a chance to be a part of a modern day Schindler's list, so to speak. We get to be the ones. Jesus has said we get to be that. So for those of you that help, those of you that are just here and praying, thank you. We're at getting close to 600 families. My goal by the end of this year is we get to celebrate a thousand families set free uh, from slavery just from our church alone. So anyway, God bless you for that. Thank you for your efforts and energy for that. Would you open your Bibles to the book of First John? If you're watching online, we're grateful that you're here. And if it was because you got turned away, man, I feel terrible about that. So we're sorry. Um, For those of you, in fact, I don't know, Eric and Caleb, I don't know if you're watching in Pakistan. My question is, uh, do you get to bring those outfits home? Or is that like bowling shoes where you just rent them when you get there to preach and you turn them back in? Because I don't know. (laughs) I don't even know where you buy one of those. Uh, And y'all be praying for Caleb, by the way. He lands January 12th. in Nashville, and then he and I get on a plane January 13th and fly back to the Middle East for 10 more days. So that boy is a glutton for punishment. Uh, and can, can I, I guess I can say this. He's probably not watching. Uh, he, when I first met with Caleb a few years ago, he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't really know why you guys send all that money overseas. I really don't understand why, you know, why we don't just keep it in America. Uh, and then, well, that was three years ago. And now he's since been to Nepal, Pakistan, uh, Uganda, all over the world. So now he understands it fully. And it, I'm not making fun of him. That's actually a normal thing that people in America say. We say dumb things like, where I'm from, we clean up our own backyard before we worry about someone else's. You ever said that? My dad does. Uh, the, generally speaking, said by people who are not doing anything about their own backyard. So that's just me. Uh, <laughs> 
I want you to know that I used to care what people thought of me, but being a pastor for 14 years, that, that button's broke. Um, we're getting ready to launch into 1 John for the next few weeks. 1 John is the last letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that he wrote before going on to eternity. By the time he wrote these words, he had already been uh, sent to Patmos, where he had been exiled. He had already been boiled in oil and survived. And if you don't understand what boiled in oil means, think Fry Daddy. Think sonic tater tots. Like they put him in a little thing, put him down in the oil, and somehow he survives, which makes sense because he was called the apostle of love, right? And love never fails. So it's a really appropriate picture. But he says at the end of his life, don't stop believing. It's been 60 some years since Christ has ascended. And John would write these words in chapter two, verse 24, that, hey, look, everything that I've said to you, verse 24, chapter two, uh, as for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain the son and in the father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Now, if you're a Bible student, those words might sound familiar from John 15. Remain in me and I in you, right? And you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. John is still saying the same thing. 60 years later, he is remaining in what he had heard at first. And it's important because some of y'all are brand new to the faith, some of you guys are in the, like, uh, you're newer to faith. Some of you have not yet come to faith at all. But some of you are like me. You've been around the block a few times with the word. You've been around the block in Christianity a while. And what he's saying here is so practical and so on the ground important. The things that you heard in me, the very, remain in those things. When I was... Uh, when I was 18, I went to Bible college. People ask, hey, did you, did you go to Bible college? The answer, sometimes. <laughs> Almost didn't graduate because of excessive absences. 100% true story. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was not in the best spiritual headspace at 18. Now, keeping in mind, I had already been on the mission field for two summers. I was about to spend a summer on the Navajo reservation. I was like the star kid in the youth group. No. In fairness, there were 11 kids. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this sounds a whole lot better on paper, Jeremy, than in real life. I'm a, 11 of us. But I was it. So I went to Bible college to backslide. And I had this theory. Now, look, in fairness, this was developed in a not developed frontal lobe, okay? You guys hear me joke about this, but you young men especially, like if you didn't have a leg, you'd let you'd, a wheelchair, you'd let somebody help you in. Until you're 25, this frontal lobe is not fully developed. So I don't know if there's such a thing as a, a CJ, if there's such a thing as a wheelchair for your brain, uh, but I needed one because my brain wasn't functioning. And if you're 20, neither is yours. And to prove that, not, not all of it. The irony, of course, is I thought I was the smartest kid in town. Shannon can confirm that I was not, but I never let that stop me. I thought this is my theology in that moment. Jesus's words from the, the Beatitudes is if you have committed lust, if you've ever looked on a woman with lust in your heart, right? Then you've already committed it. Now my unfunctioning frontal lobe, Micah said, well, might as well get my money's worth. Okay. Dumb. That is terrible theology. And because by the way, and I've said this before, if you read the attitudes and you think these are beautiful, might I suggest you're not reading them right? 
Because if you read the Beatitudes and think anything except, Lord, save me from the Beatitudes, then you don't understand what he's saying. He is setting a bar that is like, this is what perfection is. And you think you're crushing it in your perfection, but I'm telling you, you're not. Because the perfection, the line of holiness in God is so high that you're never gonna make it there. So it wasn't that I could, might as well get my money's worth. All that did was leave a trail of heartbreak, of disconnection, of loneliness, of broken hearts, of broken relationships, because I was trying to say, this is God's word and God's will for my life, but I've got a better idea. I'm gonna do it this way. And it caused this thing in me that it causes in all of us, which is disconnect. I'm not saying separation. I understand there's a difference. If you're in Christ, your salvation is secure. You are safe in his hands. And if you are choosing to ignore specific things in your life that God says, hey, don't do it this way. I've designed you for this kind of relationship. I've designed you for this kind of life. Don't be shocked when if you violate the design that you find yourself disconnected from the one who designed you to begin with. Salvation is secure, but you're disconnected connected from him. Now, what we're seeing all over the news, all over the world in the last two years, three years, and you know, people blaming it on the pandemic, but the fact of the matter is loneliness was a problem in our nation in the West before the pandemic restrictions were started, okay? That, that was long in play before. It just exaggerated, uh, brought to the light what was already inside of most of our lives. And the numbers play this out. The research has been solid for years. This piece in USA Today, by the way, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, they're all running pieces over this last year about the, what they call the epidemic of loneliness. Now, in this piece, they quote from a guy named Jeremy Noble in his book, Project Unlonely. And he speaks of a problem of loneliness. And he says this, that there's a crisis of disconnection. And the disconnection is three types, he says. This is from his uh, neuroscience, whatever. It's uh, psychological. It's social and it's existential. And I wanna show you that First John chapter one specifically gives us the answer that Vivek Murthy, that Dr. Jeremy Noble, that none of the experts from a secular humanist have been able to corner yet because they're forgetting the one that's right in front of us, which is God himself. If we're lonely for God, the rest of it's never gonna fall into place. Social media has accelerated loneliness research shows feeling lonely is more common among heavy users of the sites. Although likes and followers may make a person feel good in the moment, they don't foster genuine connectedness with other people. The damnable thing of these requirements and restrictions that were put in place by epidemiologists is they knew everything about biology and they knew nothing about the human soul. And the human soul disconnecting the world emotionally, as long as they did, will kill far more people that have been killed by the virus because loneliness is not a zero sum game. The Harvard study he talks about showed 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. Now remember, we're all online. We got Jimmy Kimmel doing dances online. It's gonna be fine. We're, gonna, we're all fine, we're online. That's not what the numbers show. The numbers show that just being online was not connection for us. About half reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes 
to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. Now, if you were here last week, Stephen Sargent talked a little bit about that. And didn't he do a great job, by the way? (laughs) Second string, my butt. That guy crushed last week. You can be surrounded by, listen, you can be surrounded by lots of people and you can have lots of followers or connections on social media, but not necessarily feel like you've got somebody who knows you or who would show up for you in a crisis. They go on to say that if you're feeling lonely, no, you're not alone. Experts say recognition and awareness are important first steps in escaping loneliness. There are a lot of people struggling with loneliness and it doesn't mean that you're broken or something is fundamentally wrong with you, Murthy said. Now that's quoting from Vivek Murthy in his uh, book that he released this last year, speaking on the same title. He is the Surgeon General. He is the guy that in his estimation is saying that loneliness is more dangerous physically for you than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Right. So keep in mind, this is not a zero-sum game. This is not just something that we want to be nice about. This is like our personal health and lives depend on this. Now, that said, what if, hypothetically speaking, the Bible has the answer for the loneliness that our country is suffering from? And the reason we can't get past it is everybody is trying to solve it using everything but God's word. What if we actually go to God's word and say, oh, He's been, he knew about this 2,000 years ago. What if we listened to what he has to say? You see, in chapter one, verse one through 10, and then actually into chapter two, verses one through three, he says that this is what we've heard from the beginning, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Speaking of Jesus, the life appeared, we have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. And when you're reading this, this is not the words of a guy telling a story. These are the words of a guy swearing a deposition, right? This is, I saw him, we touched him, we heard him, he's real, he's resurrected. He is giving a testimony 60 some years later that this is still true because he is still alive and we can still have relationship with him. Verse two, the life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may, listen, have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father, with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this unto you to make our joy complete. Now, do you see in just that, those first verses through four verses right there, fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. And then I would add a third one, which we'll get to, which is fellowship with the truth. I can't have fellowship with the father if I don't have fellowship with what the truth is about who he is. But that's what we're going to cover this morning. Fellowship with God, fellowship with each other, and fellowship with the truth. And to see how that is a part of what God has wired you to be, so that your joy might be complete. Let's pray God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word will speak to us today, that you'll be a light and a lamp to us. Oh, you're so good. God, please be with our brothers and sisters in Asia. 83 families going free this week. That's so many per day. Like It's so exciting to get to be a part of that. But I pray that your spirit is there, that you keep them safe while they're there, that they can communicate clearly that gospel that you put inside of them. And Lord, in this room, 
I pray that you're speaking to everybody right now in our own hearts and in our own minds. Father, you, the new covenant, we all have a connection directly to you. And I pray that that connection is completely experienced and realized in this room today. Father, I pray for our friends down the road at Vineyard. This is one of the last weeks that John Stearns is going to be on staff before he passes the baton. I pray that you'll be with him and with Grant as they move into this new season. Lord, be with our brothers and sisters at Christ Chapel, that brand new church building that they've just, they worked so hard. You moved so much to get that done. Be with Jeremy and Shannon Canada as they're leading that today. And our brothers and sisters over at World Outreach Church, God, you've created such a, uh, an outlet of truth there. I pray that you'll be with our brothers, Alan Jackson and his church family today as well. And for us here in our own church family, Lord, we lift you high. We lift you high, Lord, and we let you do the drawing of people unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Healing Our Crisis of Discomfort was the book that Jeremy Noble just completed. It's a book basically with scientific ideas about how we can end loneliness. And I would like to suggest to you that it's going to fall short because it does not include the connection to our creator himself. And without that, we're going to be lonely, not only with each other, but lonely with ourselves. But he says this, and this is why I wanted to read from it, because he literally diagnoses three kinds of loneliness, right? I just talked about it. Psychological, social, existential. Some experience uh, psychological loneliness when they don't feel like they have anyone to confide in or trust, right? That might be you. Who, who can I trust? There's these things I can't tell anybody. I don't trust anyone. Societal loneliness is feeling systematically excluded because of a characteristic, including gender, race, or disability. There's a whole lot going on right now in the DEI movement, the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, which is saying that if you're a victim then every, it's everybody else's fault and I have no responsibility in this because it's everybody else's fault. That doesn't solve the problem. It just creates more loneliness because it puts you in a victim position and victims are lonely because they're alone and that's not true of you. And then he goes on to say, uh, existential or spiritual loneliness comes from feeling disconnected from one's self. I would like to suggest to you that First John answers every one of these questions, every one of these dilemmas that we're facing today. And again, all the Ivy League schools, all the white coats in the world have, because they refuse to acknowledge that there's a fellowship with God missing, that we're not going to be able to ever, quote unquote, solve the loneliness problem in our country. And it's solved in chapter one, fellowship with God, fellowship with each other, neither of which are possible unless we have fellowship with the truth. Fellowship with God, don't let that one slip by you. We have seen with our own eyes. We have touched with our own hands. We've heard with our own ears. Jesus is real. And why he came was to give us connection to our Father. Like that was the whole purpose of him coming. I tend to whitewash over that because I'm so used to it, having been a Jesus follower as long as I have. It's a great reminder let me tell you this, when you're talking to someone who has grown up in Islam, in a developing nation, the idea that they could have a relationship with God is anathema to anything they've ever been told. The Quran has many words in it, but love is not one of them. 
You can read the entire Quran and the, and the word love is not in the Quran because that's not what the religion of Islam is about. The religion of Christianity, of Jesus himself, the one true one, and the reason I know it's true is I can go visit the tomb of Muhammad. I cannot visit a tomb of Jesus because Jesus is empty. Problem solved. But he has given us fellowship with him. The word fellowship in Greek is a word called koinonia. It's a word that we really don't have a word for here. In fact, we've called it, everything's fellowship now. Like fellow, we used to remember the fellowship hall, right? Remember when we had to change the name of that? Does anybody remember why? <laughs> so Pastor LaFleur from Haiti is in town and he refers to, um, let's say, relations with, with, his, uh, with his wife. Uh, as fellowship. <laughs> and, he, uh, and I remember him saying, because you know, we were having some fellowship. Do you know what I mean? Fellowship? I'm like, well, we all know what you mean. Like, I don't want you to say that again. And, and then we're like, but well, we can't call that the fellowship hall anymore. Like, that's a, this is a wrong church, man. We can't be doing that here. So anyway, uh, but the word fellowship, but here's the thing. He's actually closer than our definition. Like his definition of fellowship was actually closer than ours because there's an intimacy there. It's not sexual, but it's intimate. It's connection. That's what John is promising. We've seen him. We've touched him. We can have a relationship with him. We write this verse four that would make our joy complete. If you don't have a fellowship with our father, if that's not a part of your life, might I suggest that you start in 2024? Not to know about him, but to know him. There's a piece in the Wall Street Journal just this last week speaking about friendship. Stephen Sargent could not have been more timely in his message last week. But it talks about being friends and good friends. And the numbers show that it takes 200 hours to just establish a good friendship and many more than that to maintain it. So if you feel like my time with God, I don't have fellowship with him yet. I don't have that relationship with him like that yet. Are you doing a daily time with him, a daily relationship with him, a daily morning of father? Good morning. I'm here. What do you need from me today? Daily in the word and over time, long obedience in the same direction, you begin to build a fellowship with God that then and only then will your joy be complete. Remember what John said. He quoted Jesus, John 15. If you remain in me and I in you, right? You will go and you bear much fruit. John 2, 24, remain in me. There is something about just remaining in him that creates a fellowship with him that you can't get any other way than with time. You gotta be careful because it's not about just marking it off. You know, Shannon and I, we spent a couple days this week looking at our year and we're putting stuff on the calendars and goals. And, and by the way, we do schedule things. We're, you know, we're, okay, can we do date night here? Like there are things that are scheduled on our calendar. But scheduling love like each other, like I just want to hang with you and watch. Like if, we, if all I'm doing is saying, here's how much time you get is two hours a day or 20 minutes a day or five minutes a day on my calendar, that's just not sufficient for a relationship and a spouse. And it's sure not sufficient for a relationship with God. It's 2024. You have an opportunity today to say this year, 
I'm going to build this in as a relationship and fellowship with my father. And that is what solves the existential loneliness inside of you. Because where he describes existential loneliness is a disconnection from yourself. I don't think that's accurate. I think that the disconnect is from your father, the father in you, and that's the loneliness. Because if you're not behaving, if you're not doing and acting in the way you were designed, then you are separated from yourself. That's the addiction world 101. People will fight. We were just listening to an interview with Chip Dodd this week. People will fight for their addiction because they think that's what they need to keep them alive, but it actually keeps them away from who they are, not closer to who they are. So you're fighting against not yourself, but against the sin, against the addiction, whatever it is in your life, so that you can get to the Father to have that fellowship with him. Because if I'm living however I want to live Monday through Monday, and then expecting a fellowship with the Father, it just doesn't work that way. If I come home and I just start throwing stuff around, if, if I'm completely disconnected, I'm not helping around the house, I'm just, I'm just existing, that doesn't create more fellowship with Shannon. It creates less fellowship with Shannon. Fellowship is literally this intimacy of I'm here to serve you. You're here to serve me. It's knowing each other. There's so much to that. And the promise of the word is that I get to have that with God. Man, I've watched my brothers and sisters in other religions pray. And it's so sad because they're begging their God to maybe forgive them this time. They're begging God to give them whatever you know, it is that they need. They're just begging God that they get to the end of their lives and there's not these two scales and they have to go to hell because it was just one more good work than the other work. It's, it's such a lonely way to live because there's no fellowship with their God. We as Jesus followers have a fellowship with God. And if you don't follow Jesus know that that's the whole purpose he came for to begin with, was to reconnect you to the Father from your separation from him. It's fellowship with him that brings joy. Now, it's probably helpful. If you want to take a picture, you can learn more about this later. I want to define joy for you. Because joy seems to mean just happy, happy, right? It seems to be like, you know, watching, uh, watching a bunch of Rob's videos on the internet. Like, it makes me happy and glad and it makes me laugh. That's a happy thing. That's gladness, but it's not joy. Joy comes with sadness wrapped into it. If you thought that joy does not include sadness, you're going to be set up for disappointment. Here's what I mean by sadness. So again, Shannon and I spent a few days away. It's only a couple of days. We're, we're perched up on this little cliff in this cabin. And the, so it's, it's a very joyful experience. We're, it's just beautiful, the sunrise. And I, but there's sadness in it because it's going to end. It, it, my family, my daughters were home. There's nothing that makes a father's heart more joyful than listening to his three daughters who all live in different places uh, sitting in the bonus room watching some Korean dating show and howling and laughing and cackling. Not, I'm not happy because they're watching Korean dating shows. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But what made me happy was they're happy, right? My kids in the same room together brings an enormous amount of joy to me and an enormous amount of sadness because I know that it's going to end. That's the Genesis 3 world. And what I love about what Jeff Schulte and Phil Herndon have said here is that gladness leads to the gift of joy with sadness. 
Joy is the state of mind and heart due to hopes and desires being fulfilled. But it's mixed with sadness due to the recognition that we live in a fallen world. Joy is wonderful. On the one hand, it's the experience we have in Christ as an ongoing disposition. And on the other, it's a recognition that the joyful experience of the moment will wax and wane until Jesus redeems this world once and for all. Now think about John writing these words. He has been beaten. He has been exiled. He has been imprisoned unfairly and unjustly. And he is saying that his joy is complete, not because of gladness in his circumstances, but because of the strength of his fellowship with the Father. And your joy can be complete if you start there and not seeking happiness. A lot of people have done a lot of dumb things in the name of seeking happiness. And it's end in disconnection and in sadness with that, fellowship with each other. So see, we have that with God, but we weren't made to be alone. What's one of the very first things God says? It's not good for man to be alone. We were created to have relationship with him, and because we were created in his image, it means we have a desire, a need for relationship with each other, right? And that's the societal loneliness that he's talking about, that the fellowship with others is a societal loneliness for us. Like, I, I don't know if I can trust anybody. I don't know who I can be a part of. And he goes on, you know, when we talk about the, uh, the victim idea that if you're, if you're disabled or if you're the wrong gender, if you're the, it disconnects. And by the way, those are things that can cause loneliness. Don't get me, I don't want to be glib about this. Um, I, I grew up extraordinarily, extraordinarily poor, like really, really poor. I was excluded from a lot of things, right? I mean, a lot of things. And there wasn't a lot of fun in that time. But if I spent my life trying to pay back everybody, and, you know, let's be honest, Facebook, there was a 25-year-old version of me, like, you know what, I could find that guy now that used to beat me up when I was in sixth grade and go find him and beat him up because I'm bigger than he is right now. Like, vengeance is mine, saith the Darren. But that's not fellowship. <laughs> fellowship with each other is not about getting even. Fellowship with each other. Listen, brothers, church family, I'm going to disappoint you if I haven't already, okay? Some of it's gonna be a mistake. A lot of it's gonna be because of sin in my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be rude. I'm gonna be isolated. I'm, I'm gonna do, because that's just, I'm a human just like you are. That's one of the reasons God doesn't want a priest in between you and him, right? I got enough problems. Like you guys, we all get to go to the priest directly. So I'm going to disappoint you. And the question is with fellowship is, do you break off fellowship because of, my uh, missing the mark by me falling into that, or are you willing to offer me the same forgiveness that Jesus offered you? And by the way, that's a two-way street. Am I willing to offer you? Are we willing to offer each other? That's the way that fellowship works. Why do you think he says that his, he literally ends in verse seven, that his, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. He's saying that the very thing that we need is connection with each other and connection with God. And the very thing that keeps that from happening is sin. And I know we're not supposed to talk about sin. I know it's not socially acceptable. And I know people say, ah, it's an old book. It's not relevant anymore. This is an ancient book, which assumes that we are not ancient creatures. See, the reason this is still relevant is that I'm <laughs> ancient writing, 
ancient humans, okay? We, we, we might have created uh, electric cars and we might have gotten to the moon, but inside of every one of us is the same heart in need of the same salvation that's been there for thousands of years. That's not new. And that's why fellowship with each other is still broken apart. It's still disconnected by sin in our lives. When I sin not just against my father, but sin against my wife, if I sin against you, there creates a disconnect in between it. And if you think about it, you know it to be true. Like you know it intuitively. Think of the last fight that you had with your spouse. Some of you are like, well, that's not hard. He was on the way over here. Isn't it funny how that happens? <laughs> Just going at each other on the way in. You open the door in the parking. Hey guys, God bless you. Oh, <laughs> but listen, <laughs> when you're in those modes, do you feel more connected or less connected? Less. And less connected is more lonely. Now here's, I'm going to blow it again. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So what we have in fellowship with each other is the realization that I can now have empathy for you because I needed the same forgiveness that you needed. It just, there's an empathy that comes from the cross that can't come from Vivek Murthy. It can't come from Jeremy Noble. And the reason it can't is because when a sin has been committed against you, and I know the big ones, but there's also the little ones. It means that the toothpaste is out of the tube and how do I get it back? It means the crime has been committed. Who is gonna pay the price for that sin? Because what he goes on to say here is this. He says that for fellowship with truth, which is what's so important for us, is that we have all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. And here's why I want you to hear this, that my sin is serious. Your sin is serious. Because there's no such thing as a victimless sin. It might be helpful just for this. I want, I want to define sin, and I'm going to use a definition that Tim Keller created. You might have a different one. I just think this really sums it up so succinctly. He says that sin isn't only doing bad things, right? That's what Darren did, Bible college. That is sin, but that's not all it is. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. The last verse of 1 John 5, the last verse of this letter, he says, little children, turn away from idols. Idolatry is primarily what sin is inside of us. That's why it's one of the top 10. It doesn't say in the 10 commandments, don't sin, thou shalt not sin. It says thou shalt not write, commit false witness. Thou shalt not have any other idols, any graven images, no idols in front of me. So go back to verse eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. In this room, in the people watching online, in the people in the lobby that are listening in, all of you, all of us have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And confession, I don't know. When you think confession, maybe you think what I think, which is, you know, I did it. I did it with the, with the candlestick, the butler, right, in the, in the, in the lobby. Killed the, with the, you know. Like, I'm confessing to a crime. 
Was there not a candlestick that was murdered? You know, anyway, sorry. <laughs> Clue. <laughs> so, someone get the nouns. The Greek word for confess is homo legeo. Homo meaning singular, logeo meaning words, saying the same thing as another person. So when I confess, quote unquote, confess a sin, it's just simply me saying to the Father, yeah, that was a sin. It's me agreeing with instead of arguing against what the sin is or is not. Look, why do you think in the Garden of Eden it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Right? It wasn't just about eating fruit. It was about now saying, I'm going to decide what is sin and what is not sin. I'm the one who has the knowledge of what is good and evil. And God, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, scoot on over, I got a better idea. Confession just simply means, yeah, Father, I, man, the way that I acted this morning, there was pride in that. And I recognize that it was pride and I'm agreeing with you that it's pride. And here's what I love. He is faithful and just to forgive you. And here's how now that gives you the power to forgive. Because you might read it and think what I thought for all these years. Well, he's just a merciful God. I even heard somebody say this. Well, he just, that's just what God does. He's just merciful. That's just what he does. He just forgives. Like it's sort of a glib idea, but it doesn't say he is faithful and merciful to forgive us. He says faithful and just. Read it very carefully. That is not the same thing. And verses one through three tell us why it is not the same thing. If we sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, so to speak, who is advocating on our behalf. And what he is not saying is, God, cut him some slack. He didn't mean it. Cut him some slack. You know, he experienced childhood trauma, so he's behaving this way because he's had trauma. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I'll take the punishment for him. He is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. That's what he is for us. It's what he is for you, that he is the atoning sacrifice. That is different than him having mercy and winking and saying, boys will be boys. No, he's saying that sin that happened to you, deadly serious. So deadly serious that I will be the one to be dead to take the punishment for that sin. It's been said that the cross is the only place on the planet where justice and mercy kiss. Because we do need mercy and we need justice. And the cross was the only way to get both. Now you're welcome to try spending the rest of your life earning your way to it. And I take you back to the Beatitudes. If you've even called your brother a fool in anger, if you've looked upon your sister with lust in your heart, none of us are gonna get there on our own. And I love it. Romans even goes on to say, it's really wild that if this is how you want to live your life, go ahead and you're gonna be judged by the way that you chose to live your life. I heard a theologian say it this way, that it's like someone put a recorder around Darren's neck and every time I say, you should do this or you shouldn't do that, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And then at the end of the life, standing in front of the father, if we wanna go down that road, there's, he's gonna replay the tape of everything I said you should or shouldn't do. And did I do or not do those things? And even in that standard, I am still guilty. There is no standard by which I can live perfection. There's only the standard by which Jesus did and then welcomes me into it, connecting me to the Father, solving the problem of cosmic loneliness and societal loneliness because we start with a fellowship of the truth that you and I are both just sinners saved by grace. And thank God there's plenty of that grace 
to go around. I wanna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not gonna have, if you've been around church, some of you are triggered right now, don't be. I'm not gonna ask you to come down. I just want you to have a moment of prayer and ask yourself one, like, am I lonely because I'm lonely for God and I'm trying to do everything except his will? Am I lonely because I misunderstood who he was? There's nothing more lonely than being misunderstood. And if you've never stepped into that relationship with Christ to begin with, I'm inviting you this morning. Some of you, that's it. You've never had that relationship. You can this morning. It's very simple. What is the work of the Father, right? That just to believe. That's the only work for salvation, is to believe on the one who sent him. And I'm inviting you to join in on that this morning. I do believe. And the second is to say to you, man, if you've, <laughs> you've been... You've been lonely, you've been, but you've literally been living existentially lonely, socially lonely, psychologically lonely, because you have been literally saying, I'm gonna do whatever I want, however I want, because it makes me feel good and happy. And today, maybe you just leave that behind at the altar as well. And then there are some, man, you walking with Christ. And for you this morning, my invitation is to still examine your own heart because we have all sinned. There are all places in our lives where if I recognize this, I can see that it's disconnecting me, not from my salvation, but from my relationship with the Father. Spend 2024 connected to the vine. If you remain in me and I in you, John says, then you will bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. Heavenly Father, I pray that you're moving in our hearts this morning that you're speaking, you're drawing, it's your goodness and your mercy that leads us to salvation, your kindness, Lord. You're so good to us. And this morning we repent, like I confess, I said, this is what I'm doing and that is exactly what you said was a sin. I agree with you that it is and I know that you're faithful, that you're just to forgive us because you paid the price yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.